Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family grown small batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award winning Birkin Road Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In New Orleans, we're big on tradition. We believe that doing things the same way that they've been done for generations keeps us connected to our history and maintains the grandness of the city that our forebears created. But there's a difference between tradition and habit, and the difference can be knowledge. For example, in the 1950s, if you, your parents, and your grandparents all smoked cigarettes, you might have called yourselves a traditional tobacco family. Now that we know smoking is the cause of seriously life-limiting medical conditions, you'd be more apt to describe that family as having a bad smoking habit. Which brings us to Mardi Gras. If you've lived in New Orleans for any time and you go to Mardi Gras parades, you've probably caught or thrown hundreds, if not thousands, of Mardi Gras beads. Mostly manufactured in China, these plastic beads are allegedly made from unregulated petroleum products and reportedly contain unhealthful levels of lead, arsenic, and other chemicals you wouldn't want your kids anywhere near. I'm being careful to say reportedly and allegedly because I'm the host of a radio show, not a scientist, and I know how seriously people listening to me take Mardi Gras. Brett Davis takes Mardi Gras seriously too. Brett is the director of an organization called Grounds Crew. Grounds Crew's mission is to make New Orleans events sustainable by diminishing waste and instituting recycling wherever possible. When it comes to Mardi Gras, Grounds Crew's aim is to get us to replace plastic beads and other toxic throws with sustainable throws that are local, healthful, and as affordable as the ubiquitous Chinese plastic beads. Brett, welcome out to lunch. Hey, Peter. It's great to be here. Let's move on to another mainstay of the New Orleans economy in which there's blurred line between tradition and habit the music industry. The traditional way the music business is structured in New Orleans tends to financially benefit purveyors of alcohol more than the creators and performers of music. That's because we have a very robust live music culture that's centered mostly in bars. Unlike other music-centric cities like Nashville and Austin, we don't have a robust allied music economy. If you're a New Orleanian and you want a high-level career as a music business attorney, agent, manager, songwriter, or recording artist, you're in the same position locals and other businesses were in here until recently. That is, you have to leave New Orleans. Think about that for a moment. You live in a city people come to specifically to hear music, but to be truly successful in the music business, you have to leave. This tradition has gone on for some time. Louis Armstrong left New Orleans to make it, and so did Little Wayne, Wynton Marcellus, John Batiste, Evan Christopher, Harry Connick Jr., Devell Crawford, Nicholas Payton, No Limit Records, Cash Money Records left, Daniel Lenoir, Lenny Kravitz, Trent Reznor, and Ray Davies from the Kinks all moved their music operations here and then left. You could argue that Wynton had to leave here for his prestigious job as director of jazz at the Lincoln Center, and John Batiste had to leave here to be the music director on The Tonight Show. But that's the whole point. 
We're the birthplace of jazz, but we don't have a jazz institute, and we don't have the infrastructure a national TV show needs to originate from here. At what point do we go from regarding this talent emigration as a tradition to calling it a habit and do something about breaking it? Best-selling songwriter Jim McCormick knows as much as anybody about finding an answer to this question. Jim is a New Orleans native who left. He went to Nashville for 15 years, and then he came back. Jim has written a string of hit songs for artists like Jason Aldean, Tim McGraw, Kelly Clarkson, Brantley Gilbert, and many more. He's been nominated for a Grammy five times, and he's had three songs that hit number one on the Billboard country chart. And he's done much more of that while living in Orleans Parish. Jim McCormick, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Good to be here. Okay, Brett, let's start by ruining everybody's Mardi Gras. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Almost every person in New Orleans touches plastic Mardi Gras beads at least once a year. If we accept the analysis of the content of these beads and agree they're toxic, Mardi Gras parades, as we know them, are a health risk for everybody, especially kids. We're not going to quit having Mardi Gras parades, and we're unlikely to quit the tradition of float riders flinging throws at the outstretched hands of hundreds of thousands of parade goers, especially kids. So what you do at Grounds Crew suggests an affordable replacement for plastic Mardi Gras beads. Yeah, absolutely, you're right. Well, you go and you find out what is eco-friendly and affordable, and that you'd want to throw in a parade that would be something that's functional, biodegradable, consumable, and uh, with an emphasis on Louisiana products. And so we curate that catalog, we put it on our uh, online platform, and we sell it to riders in any parade, or we curate packages for crews and we sell it to them. What's the reception? The reception so far has been absolutely amazing. So. We launched the Sustainable Throw Catalog in January of 2020. So that was right before the Mardi Gras, right before COVID. And it started just as a sort of a pilot program. And within about seven weeks, we sold 16,000 throws, which is all we had at the time. And we were obviously very satisfied and pleased with that and the reception we got. And we, of course, had big plans for what was going to happen the following year. But then COVID had other plans for us, but we've uh, managed to grow the catalog since then. Last year, we actually did our first crew branded package for the crew of Iris. They bought a thousand of our packages last year, and the reception there was absolutely over the moon, and we were, you know, just so pleased with how it went. Well, that's great. Now, Jim, it's not like there are two sides to the discussion about building a better music business in New Orleans, everybody involved, musicians, promoters, club owners, the Office of Louisiana Economic Development, everybody would love to have a robust music business economy here. We would all benefit from the presence of a recording industry, music publishers, a national promotions company headquartered here, the national spotlight that would come with a TV show like, like The Voice. And we could go on and on and list a bunch of other fantasy music business ideas but they don't have to be fantasies. Any of these things could happen. As a person who works in the music industry every single day and understands the business end of the music business, is there one thing we could do to at least start creating a true New Orleans music economy? Great question. Um, I've wrestled with it for a long time with a number of great um, people here in town. And um, first, let me just say, what a great list of people that you read off. How fortunate are we as a city to have all of those people come out of here 
Not many cities of comparable size in the country can say that. What can we do as a city to bring the industry here? I think there's a lot of people in the industry who would like to live here. They, you know, whenever I go somewhere and it's uh, mentioned that I'm from New Orleans, it's attractive to people. People love this town, and I think, um, <clears throat> as do I. And I think the best thing we can do to attract the music industry is kind of the same thing we can do to attract other industries. The people in the business, although the, f the public-facing people are kind of glamorous and exotic, it's a regular business like any other. And, um, you know, they're families, and they want to come to a place. So our, our job as New Orleanians is to continue to take care of our city, improve the quality of life, and I think that will go a long way towards attracting the industry of music business to the city. Now, Brett, I think for most of us, we had no idea how much plastic beads get thrown at a Mardi Gras parade until a couple of years ago, and you probably know this, um, they cleaned out a couple of sewers in, <laughs> on like on St. Charles Avenue, and they, they got, I don't know what the number was, but frightening. 96,000 pounds of beads in five blocks along St. <laughs> Charles Avenue. Yeah, that was a pretty pivotal moment in terms of the conversation around this because you know, when you look at all the waste that's out there, yes, it is an environmental sort of disaster. Um, yes, it is an infrastructure disaster now that we're finding that they're clogging our storm drains, which of course are our first line of defense against street flooding. And as you mentioned in the intro, it's a health and safety concern. It's an aesthetic concern when we have beads in our oak trees year round that they might look beautiful when they're first up there the few days after Mardi Gras, but year round as they start to leach off their paint and uh, finish, they, you know, are not as attractive. And it's also really just a shame that we're spending tens of millions of dollars overseas to import this stuff instead of keeping that money here in our community. Jim, when we think about what you do in Nashville, um, you're a songwriter, but most of us don't kind of understand how that works. My job is to go in in the morning and kind of, you know, how the wife and kids, what's going on, make a pot of coffee, and then set to work on an idea that hopefully everybody in the room is excited to work on that day and create a song. I'm primarily a lyricist, so usually I'm working with a musician, a producer, um, and an artist, a singer. Um, I have a good friend who says, write song, write time. That's all, that's my business plan, right? Fingers crossed. You just kind of write the songs that come to you with one eye on the market. We know what the market likes um, in, in general, and, and then you just... You really do just pray and, and hope that somebody <laughs> likes your song. And, and rejection, we live on no. We live on the word no, but you get used to it. It's okay. <laughs> You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with songwriter Jim McCormick and Brett Davis from Grounds Crew, who, among other things, are trying to do away with plastic beads at Mardi Gras. Now, Brett, there's, uh, I didn't realize this until we started getting ready for the show, but there's, a, there's an economy between the, um, the crews and the beads themselves now i didn't know about it. how does it work yeah it's fascinating um i really like to ask this people question out this question now what festival have you been to for 11 days that you didn't have to buy a ticket to go to or didn't have a huge corporate presenting sponsor there's probably not one out there that you can name i know i can't and there's a reason for that so mardi gras which is this the greatest free show on earth, as we like to call it, this hugely important cultural event that New Orleans does, um, is, is that. It's an 11-day free festival that is hosted by the city, but it's paid for by crews. And how do the crews pay for this? Well, they do that through membership dues, and they do that through balls and fundraisers. But what they've started to really rely on, as Mardi Gras has gotten bigger and better over time, 
is selling throws from the crew, crew branded throws to their ridership. And this is as much as 50% of the revenue that a parade generates to pay for their warehouses, their floats, their bands, their marching crews, their permits, their logistics. So, you know, as a kid, I grew up going to these parades that were much smaller in scale, fewer on the docket, and I didn't catch as much. But now when we're at these parades and we stay to the end and we're ankle deep in trash and we're looking around and thinking, my word, why is all this here? There's your answer. All that stuff you see out in the street is the money that pays for Mardi Gras to happen. And it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger every year. So the crew or the head of that crew will talk to a manufacturer in China, get them and mark them up a bit and then sell them to their riders? Yeah, they usually work through throw distribution companies to do that. Um, now we have some crew leadership who also own throw distribution companies, so that also complicates things a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's generally how it works. And of course, they're interested in being the best parades possible. Um, they're competitive with each other, Mardi Gras wars, they call it. And so they really want to sell the most amount of stuff every year so that they can have the biggest and best parade. And so, again, all that stuff you see out in the street as a result of selling and throwing so much that the demand for it has started to wane. Um, and that's why you get people who are, I'm sorry to say, for the riders and the catchers, batting away beads and letting them land in the street and leaving them there neglected until they're put into a dump truck and brought to a landfill. And Jim, you are very successful now, amazing amount of hits, a great artist, but it wasn't always like that, I assume. No, it's, uh, no you, sir. You did a lot of, uh, oh, I don't know, travel and couch surfing and things like that. Um, what do you think when you look back at that? That's, um, well, I mean, I think, um, I don't know exactly how I was so driven. I think I loved it so much. I was like a child looking into the candy store before they opened. And um, <laughs> I remember being very, very happy, uh, even though I was sleeping on couches and eating 99-cent menu. Um, I lived very thin, but I was happy. I, you know, something in me really recognized that this was a path for me, that I could, if I, if I could get an at-bat, um, I, I think I could get on base. And I recognized that. I saw that. Um, I was almost 30, though, when I made the decision to really chase the dream. And um, I think it was just, it was, it was, I was like a horse going back to the stables, you know? It was like, it was just, it was really in me. I, there was never a, a doubt that I was not going to pursue this in my mind. Brett, uh, there's so many, but what are you replacing beads with? What, I mean, I see them on the table here. They look amazing. What do you got? Yeah, well, uh, that's a tough thing to do, to try to find things that are parade throws that are in the same cost universe as disposable Chinese plastic made in Chinese factories. So we started with the, the first idea was, okay, what do we have in bulk that's affordable, that people like, that's a local product? Um, red beans, jambalaya mix, coffee, things that you can consume. Um, those have been our most popular throws to date. We've also got things like soap that is purple, green, and gold, which we uh, found through Etsy. I just happened to find a woman in Port Allen, Louisiana, <laughs> who had just started a soap company in her garage. And I said, hey, can you make something that's purple, green, and gold, and that has biodegradable glitter in it? And she said, I can give it a shot. 
what she made turned out to be one of our most popular throws now. She's uh, making about 15,000 bars of it for me this month. And, and soap is the thing you need. Yeah, program, something so. functional. I mean, something that you can is use, you know. Um, beads, you can catch a few. And, uh, you know, there's a limit to how, how useful they become. We've got things like uh, biodegradable uh, bamboo toothbrushes that have little purple, green, and gold bristles that have engravings on them for the crew or just happy Mardi Gras. We've got beads that are made out of cooperative in Belize out of palm tree seeds that they collect off the ground and drill holes through, string up, and purple uh, paint purple, green, and gold. Um, we've got a lot of stuff. Um, and you but can are all these at all price competitive against beads made in China? The short answer is no, but they're very close to being. Really? I mean, our whole focus is on things that are not Mardi Gras crafts, but things that you can sell and throw in bulk. Um, and so that's why we sort of set ourselves up as a nonprofit instead of a retail business is because we realize it's basically impossible to be cost competitive with imported disposable plastic. But as a nonprofit, if we can get philanthropy grants, sponsors to come in behind the scenes and help subsidize the cost of these throws in order to make a Mardi Gras that we can all be proud of, one that's funding local businesses, that's our goal. And so you might notice on some of these throws, in fact, all of these throws now, we have a little QR code. And what that QR code does is when people scan it, it goes to our nonprofit webpage, it talks about the environmental benefits of the throw, it shows pictures of the volunteers and paid community members that we enlist to help sticker and stuff some of these items. And then finally at the bottom of the page are the sponsors, the people that help make this stuff happen, as well as the brand names behind it. So there is an ordinance in Mardi Gras, which is sacrosanct, that you cannot have anything with commercial branding in a parade. We don't ever want to change that. But then how do we get local products into the parade? We go to a producer like Jambalaya Girl, Camellia Red Beans, or New Orleans Roast, and we say, hey, we need a small bag, four ounces, but it can't have your corporate brand logo on there. But what we'll do is once we put our generic Mardi Gras sticker, crew sticker on there, on that webpage that the QR code goes to at the very bottom, we're going to have your brand information as well as the sponsors who make this stuff happen. Throw me something sustainable, mister. I, that would be, a, you got be a new thing to yell. That would be... That would be terrific. Jim, what kinds of music businesses are there that actually could work here? Um, well, music publishing, for one. Music publishing is, um, the, you know, it entails the creation, exploitation, and administration of copyrights, of musical copyrights. And the creation, obviously, is up to the people who can write the songs. But um, publishers can go a long way towards supporting those people so they don't have to work a day job. Um, and then exploiting those songs. Publishers need to have relationships with either the music business artists who are looking for songs or film and TV uh, people who are looking for songs. The publisher is sort of the agent for the song, right? That's a kind of business that could be done from here. Um, but you have to have the relationships. And so, you know, I think consequentially, most of the people who go build those relationships stay among, I always say, if you want to climb mountains, you got to go where the mountains are, right? And, Nashville and, and LA. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, um, but you can certainly, I mean, No Limit and Cash Money are great examples of record companies. Um, you know, I've got some friends who are doing quite well out of New Orleans. Um, but it takes a little imaginative thinking. But, you know, that's the music business. I mean, you have to invent the way forward every day. So you're not, you're not you know, any less um, 
needing to invent your way forward just because you're here in New Orleans than you are in Nashville. You still have to invent your way forward. And you were uh, one of the founders of Gnome, which Gnome. was kind of, that was the point of that group, right? New Orleans Music Economy, um, formed under the rubric of GNO Inc., some very uh, bright people involved with that, and uh, you know, tried to take the temperature of the city's music business where it was, and maybe make some recommendations for how it might move forward. But all the difficulties that we've talked about here and more are, um, are apparent once you start scratching the surface. Brett, we've had on the show before the people from uh, Arc GNO, and they kind of sort beads that have been used before and, and uh, repackage them. Uh, are you eating to their side, or is there something else I'm missing? Yeah, absolutely. We're close allies with Arc Gino. In fact, one of our big initiatives is organizing on-the-route uh, recycling programs for them, where we pass out bags to the parade public just before the parades roll that are meant for throw donations that go to Arc Gino, uh, which is a great sort of facility that they have there, the Mardi Gras Recycle Center, where they resort all of these bees that they take in and sell them to the following parades, uh, excuse me, the following year's parades, and it helps fund their organization. But knowing that we're trying to move away from Chinese beads, we are thinking about, okay, how can we continue to support ARC many years into the future? So we engage them um, to do sustainable throw assembly. Very simple tasks, like put a sticker on a jambalaya bag, stuff it inside a little burlap baggie, um, and do that thousands of times. So we work with them a lot. We go out to their facility and pay their membership, and we're really trying to promote this idea of a local throw economy that's not just local products, but also local assembly of parade throws. And Brett, not only are you doing the right thing, but your timing seems to be working in that we have all these issues with China, we, both politically and then COVID, which has led to supply chain problems. So you kind of have the wind at your back. Absolutely, yeah. If it's not just parade riders and parade catchers sort of drifting away from way too many bees in the parade, as you mentioned, it could be something like a tariff on Chinese goods, a tariff on disposable plastic items, something related to the health and safety concerns that overnight could really disrupt the sort of business model that Mardi Gras is relying on, these parades are relying on. So if we took that out overnight, where are these parades going to come up with that revenue? Again, I mentioned as much as 50%. Where is that money going to come from to sustain these parades? And so we have to start thinking, and this is a great question for a business mind like yourself, who are the economic winners in Mardi Gras? And how can they tastefully get behind the scenes and help sustain this art form for the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I grew up in Lower Aurora, and we had those Cleopatra, Choctaw, Allah, Nam Talk, and um, you would never see beads on the street. We, I mean, we cleaned the whole street up. Like, no, they were so prized. And you're right. Like, as, you know, this is the 70s and 80s, but um, yeah, now the streets are littered with beads. And, you know, and I just hadn't thought of that in a long, long time. When I was a child, you know, we'd be begging mom to let us pick them up off the street, right? And none, no bead was going to be left behind. And yeah. then mom's attic was full of boxes with beads for years. But the, other th the other thing that's changed now is you see floats, tandem floats with thousands of LED lights on them and moving parts and fog machines. You didn't have that as a kid. And you got to think, well, this is bigger and better. Who's paying for this? And your answer is the waste. It's easy to keep doing things the way we've always done them. It feels good to label ourselves as the home of Mardi Gras because Mardi Gras is amazing. 
If it doesn't bring a smile to your face, probably nothing will. And we're justifiably proud of New Orleans being a place where you can hear enormously talented musicians all around town every night. None of this has to stop, but it can change. What's already good can be better. And what are now just hopes, dreams, and visions can become reality. We can have a healthy Mardi Gras that's safe for everybody, and we can have a robust music business that makes money for musicians and everybody else in the chain of music marketing. But none of this is going to magically just happen. For things to change, it takes people like you, Brett and Jim, uh, giving us the benefit of your knowledge, experience, and passion for the city of New Orleans. Thanks for everything you're doing, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank, thank you, you, Peter. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Brett Davis, director of Grounds Crew, and musician and songwriter Jim McCormick. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Brett's events and Jim's music by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business. New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Taproom, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Taproom has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com and by... Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.